this is, I'm very moved to remember that it's 500 years ago today, 500 years ago today, April the 18th, 1521, that Martin Luther, after taking time, you know, to pray and go, you know, being given the day before, given opportunity to recant um, on the 17th, came back on the 18th before the imperial diat of, uh, of the Holy Roman Empire presided over by Charles V, the young Holy Roman Emperor. The Diot was held at Worms in what we would call Germany um, from January through May. So it wasn't, Luther was just one thing on the agenda, but he was asked to recant of his writings, his Protestant, his protesting writings about biblical faith. Um, and he came back on the 18th of April, 500 years ago. And uh, he was an academic, so he went through several gradations of what he was being asked to do and uh, talked about some of his writings being directly from Scripture and some of his writings being his elaborations or applications, etc. <laughs> and nevertheless, though, he didn't say, well, I'm going to recant this segment or this part of this segment. After saying all of that, here's what he said. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the scriptures that I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against the conscience. May God help me. Amen. Uh, you may remember that uh, Luther was only in Worms for a short period of time under a plan of his protector, Frederick. Um, he was basically whisked away. And by the time the Diot came back after a lot of deliberation and different parties believing different things, came back and uh, convicted him of, of heresy, he was long gone <laughs> and he was not burned at the stake, uh, but he stood for the word of God. May we likewise stand for the word of God uh, as people who turn to scripture today. And uh, as we do, let's, let's pray together. Holy Lord, may it be so that we also are captive to your word, that we will not go with what is convenient for us, that we will not say, well, we're not exactly sure, so your word can't be exactly sure either, God, so I guess we have a whole lot of wiggle room here. No, Lord, may we in truth be captive to your word and stand for your word and live in obedience to your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So we come before the Lord today and we're gonna uh, bring a message. I pray that it'll be a message of hope and peace for us as we prepare to come to the table of 
the covenant of God's peace with us, the new covenant in Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, I'm going to be turning to a couple verses from the larger passage from Isaiah 54 that Reed has already uh, proclaimed to us earlier to open this service in the call to worship. Um, in, uh, Isaiah 54, verses 10 and 13. And then we will also be turning to John's Gospel, uh, chapter 6, verses 45 and 51 to begin with. We'll turn to this later segment of Scripture during the sermon itself. Hear now God's word. The Lord says, For the mountains may depart, and the hills be removed. But my steadfast love, my loyal love, my chesed, we talked about this being central to God's abiding, saving love last week and in other sermons. My steadfast love, my chesed, shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace, literally the covenant of my peace, shall not be removed, says Jehovah, says the Lord, who has compassion on you, who has mercies for you. And then verse 13, all your children shall be taught by the Lord himself, by Jehovah. And great shall be the shalom, the peace of your children. And then over to John's gospel, reading from the teaching of Jesus. Jesus in this passage is going to cite um, the verse that we just read from Isaiah 54. So to verse 45 of John 6, Jesus is speaking. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And then Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Today's message is peace, shalom, for God's children in his new covenant forever. Peace for God's children in his new covenant, in his new covenant, in his new testament, forever. Uh, big picture overview, I'm going to be inviting you. God's word is going to be inviting us uh, to be secure in his peace that he has forged for us, as Isaiah 54 just told us, 
flowing from his steadfast love and mercies for us, which remember Isaiah 54 flows from the ultimate sacrifice, the theological pinnacle and the actionable economy of God for our salvation that we saw prophesied in Isaiah chapters 52 into 52 into 53, the fourth of the servant songs in that segment of Isaiah, where the servant ultimately dies in our place and takes our sin upon himself, is the Lamb of God who then is nevertheless victorious and sees the light of life and is going to have many children. Now, remember in 54, we're talking about the many children of him. I want to invite you to know him and to know that he is a covenant-making Savior and Lord, and his covenant cannot be shaken. Even though this entire world fizzle and dissolve away, even though the mountains give way and the hills be removed, even though whatever you think of as, oh, this is life. You know, during COVID, we had a lot of things that like got removed, right? It was like, I can't really live because I don't have this or that. Well, you know what? You can. You can live forever if you have God himself making covenant with you. And so God is saying, come, trust. But I don't know. I did a bad thing last week. I guess he's going to kill me or blow me up. No, no, no. His covenant in his peace is secure forever. Rest and thrive and live and act in that security, number one. And it flows from his, his chesed, his steadfast love, and his mercy for you, okay? And again, that message about God's children, we talked about this last week. Remember, God's children, or the children we're talking about here, are children of Zion, the holy city of God. And we're not just talking about the physical location of Jerusalem. And not everybody who lived in, you know, 2,700 years, uh, 2,700 years ago or um, last week in Jerusalem is a child of this covenant, okay? And the physical location is not the be-all, end-all, just like church roles are not the be-all, end-all. We're talking about people who are actually children of God, children of Zion, the bride of Christ, the church. Once you have believed in Jesus and been born anew, you are one of those children that Isaiah is talking about and that the New Testament is talking about. So be secure in that. Now, that then goes to the second point of this scripture we just read, which is that God himself will teach all the children of Zion. You know, rejoice, barren woman. You're going to have a lot of children. Rejoice, bride of Christ, church. You're going to have a lot of children. And what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be discipled directly by God, okay? I mean, this is amazing. We're not talking about the assistant, assistant, assistant intern of the pre-kindergarten program, although I'm sure he or she is a great person. You get to be not only by them, but also ultimately discipled by God himself, taught by God himself. And Jesus says that flows out of, you know, the whole prophecies about the new covenant are this. God says, no longer will they have to teach one another because they will know me and they will know my word directly. That's Jeremiah 31, but that's also going directly to, you see how this comes before Jeremiah 31, historically. This Isaiah passage is triggering and pulling together the whole message of the new covenant here. And that's why Jesus quotes it as we read in John 6. And it's all part of God's elective call 
to us, if he calls you to himself, he will teach you, guaranteed. And you will know him and you will know his word. That's second. Be secure and be a disciple. Learn from God himself and know that you're a new covenant person. You are a New Testament person, okay? You're a disciple of the Lord himself. And then third, the invitation of the table and the invitation of being fed and thriving. Jesus says, come to me and feed on me. So be secure in the covenant that God has forged for you by his love. Understand that being secure means you're called by God to be a disciple, to know him and learn his, his, his love and his word and his purpose for your life and to abide in his word. And at the heart of the matter, be fed by Jesus totally. Find your desires and your life fulfilled in Jesus because he's the bread of life. He's the bread of real life that lasts forever. So that's the big message for today. I'll go ahead and give you that up front. We'll circle back around to the extent we can as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Let me pull back and ask you, what is your peace? What is your peace? And how's your peace doing for you? Is it peaceful in your home right now? Is it peaceful in your heart and soul right now? Is it peaceful in our nation right now? What do you think? Are we the bastion of world peace forever and ever? Praise the Lord, amen. We don't need Jesus to return because we're so good already. What do y'all think? Are we perfect peace up in Minnesota right now? Out in Oakland, California right now? Even in good old Starkville, Mississippi, USA? Is this the bastion of perfect heavenly peace? What are you guys thinking? What about the way we're living our lives? Are we at peace or are we addicted to screens and activities and running all over the place? How many parents are truly instilling peace, godly peace in their children right now? I don't know, I just gotta keep them busy. Or they're doing the screens all the time and I can't control it. Does that sound like peace to you guys? Doesn't sound like peace to me, godly peace, right? Um, how peaceful is your family? How peaceful is your life? What is peace after all? Peace, let me give you some scenarios. Imagine, um, I don't know, maybe there's been infidelity in a marriage. Maybe there's not infidelity, but just really knocking heads and you know, recriminations and holding grudges and stuff. But you know what? We talk to the couple and they decide, at least for the time being, while the children are still in the home, we're gonna stay together. He's going to sleep in one bed, she's going to sleep in another, but they at least are not going to go ahead and go with that divorce that he or she had seen the lawyer about. So there's an agreement we're not going to file for divorce right now. The world might call that peace. Does that sound like peace to you? Does that sound like peace to you? What if we, uh, the United States, for instance, or somebody else made an agreement with North Korea that they're not going to continue to move forward with developing their nuclear arms for the next couple years? or at least they won't shoot off all those rockets that they like to do every few months. For the next couple of years, we come to an agreement with North Korea. Is that peace? They're going to cease from you know, blowing up the world for the next two years. Does that sound like world peace forever and ever? Amen, praise the Lord. What do you think? Is that peace? What if we do a deal with Iran? And we kind of don't know what's going on with Iran anyway, but you know, we all agree that we now have a peace arrangement with them. Is that peace? What do you think? 
Uh, the Roman Catholic Church has entered into, entered into in 2018 and now has just re renewed it, well, just renewed it back in September, an agreement that any bishops in the People's Republic of China have to be not only proposed by the Pope, but also approved by the Chinese Communist Party in the People's Republic of China. Now, that is an agreement that has brought peace and a cessation of some of the level of persecution that the People's Republic of China is bringing against other Christian groups. And some of the house Catholic churches are able to arguably to maybe stick their heads out and start reuniting with the officially approved Catholic uh, parishes in China. Does that sound like real peace to you, though? Does that sound like a good deal to you for the church to make arrangements with the communist party in China? Well, you know, the world would call that peace. Back in the 1950s through the 1980s, when the Soviet Union had all kinds of nuclear arsenal and we did too, and so there was mutually, you know, mutual destruction guaranteed, right, mad. Um, and so we didn't actually go to all-out World War III with the Soviet Union. We didn't go to war directly, and that was called peace. Is that peace to you? No. So God's Word speaks a lot about peace, but the big question is, what is your peace? What do you think peace is? Um, in Hebrew, most people who don't know almost any Hebrew at least know this. What is the word for peace in Hebrew? Shalom, right? Shalom. So you got the, um, the, the root is that the Hebrew letter for S-H sound, sheen. And then you've got the, the L uh, letter, the lamed, and then you've got the mame, the M letter. So S-H-L-M, shalom. Um, shalom is a standard word to use in all kinds of situations, greeting and departing in, in Israel. If you went over to Israel, uh, you'd say, well, I don't know any other um, Hebrew, so I'll just go around saying shalom to everybody, <laughs> even when it's inappropriate. Um, you get fed a meal, shalom. <laughs> and that's okay, because the truth is shalom is a huge term. It's typically translated as peace, but it means health, well-being, wholeness. It's a big old word. It means being right, okay? You're right, and you're right with other people. That's what shalom means. Um, if, you, if we went to Israel and you said, well, I want to learn a little more Hebrew. I don't want to just be saying shalom all the time, but can you teach me something that incorporates it? I might say, yeah, you go around and say to people, mashalom ech, mashalom chach. Uh, you say, mashalom uh, cha to the men and mashalom ech to the women. And that's kind of like, how's your peace going? What it literally means though, Ma, what is your peace? Which is this question I've been proposing to you for the last several. It literally, it means what is your peace? What is your wholeness? What is your well-being? And that's a pretty good question, isn't it? Um, False peace, true peace. The Bible records a whole lot of prophets and what in their day would have been big mega, you know, preacher, televangelist kind of people who were preaching peace all the time to people. 
in bad situations and saying, well, we've been bad, but God's forgiven us and everything's going to be great and we're going to win and everything. And so like Jeremiah records the bad news, for instance, in chapters six and eight, that Judah's most of their religious leaders and political leaders are spouting off false shalom, false peace. Jeremiah 6.14, and I want you to remember this language because it applies back to the suffering servant. They dress the wound of my people with very little care, saying, shalom, shalom, peace, peace, when there is no shalom at all. That's Jeremiah 6.14. So, they're, they're spouting off on false peace, and you notice what they're doing is they're supposedly treating the wound, the problem, but they're doing it superficially, putting a Band-Aid on a cancer tumor. Doesn't sound good, does it? That's what they're doing. That's what the Bible's talking about. Uh, Jeremiah 8, 9, the wise men shall be put to shame. The supposedly know-it-alls, the experts shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. They've rejected this. So what wisdom is in them? It's worldly wisdom. Verse 11 of Jeremiah 8. They heal the brokenness of the daughter of my people. In other words, the daughter of Zion, the people, get healed superficially. There's that word again, lightly. Saying, shalom, shalom, peace, peace. But there is no peace. Likewise, the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 13, verse 10 precisely because they have misled my people saying shalom when there is no shalom because when the people build a wall these prophets smear it with whitewash whitewash you know any politicians or other leaders who do a lot of whitewashing this is what's going on here so this brings us to the real central issue of Anybody want to be saved? Anybody want to know the core issue of our relationship with God, at least initially in the Bible? It's this issue of shalom. The issue of finding shalom is a key issue all the way from Genesis 3 running through the rest of the Bible. Because when Adam and Eve sin, when we have the fall, shalom is broken with God and with each other. You may remember this, Adam and Eve are never the same again in their relationship either. And the family's never the same. It's bad horizontally as well as vertically. Shalom is broken. Alienation. Alienation. But the heart of the matter is alienation from God. Rebellion from God. Turning away from God. Hiding from God. And not being intimate and at peace with God. Again, I want to ask you this. Are you at peace with God right now? You love to spend time with the Lord. Is at the heart of who you are. I hope it is. I pray it is. That's shalom. C.S. Lewis says, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. It's only God, only in him that your desires, that our desires will be met. So this question, this question of shalom humbles us. Our pride drives us to find other answers. We'll do it better next time. Or there's a new guru or a new insight. Or this technology is going to fix everything. Has technology fixed everything in the 21st century? What are you guys thinking? Um, God's answer is very clear and it's very essential. And it is the only answer. 
Christ and him crucified for our rebellion, our sin, to bring us shalom, reconciliation with God. So remember all the false prophets and their light treating, or their superficial treating of wounds? Listen to this again. One of my key verses from Palm Sunday, the fourth servant song, Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Prophecy of the cross, right? And then listen to the second part of this verse. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us shalom, peace. And then listen to this. With his wounds, we are healed. Okay, it's not a superficial treating of our wounds that he does. He takes the wounds upon himself fully to the bone, to the core. And because he has taken the wounds upon himself, we can be healed. You hear the difference? That's night and day. <laughs> and the false prophets of false peace who are superficially treating the wounds and giving you wise counsel or good psychotherapy. Um, so again, our points of reference here, rejoice and receive your security in the covenant of God's peace, God's peace for his children, for believers. It's a covenant that is secure and eternal. It's the new covenant. It lasts forever. Um, covenant of peace, let me go back to Isaiah 54, 10. Let me just remind you, if you're with me on Wednesday nights, you'll pick up the links, okay? But this links back to the covenant with Noah and the everlasting covenant with Noah and creation. This links to the covenant with Phineas in Numbers 25. Don't have time to talk about that right now. That's a covenant of God's peace, okay? Um, with, with the Phineas line in Levi. Um, the new covenant... The covenant of peace is implicit in Jeremiah 31, and it's spelled out in Ezekiel 34 and 37, that language specifically used bridging into the New Testament. But at the, as, as, as we have seen over and over again, Isaiah is the pivot and the axis point here. He is the prophet who initially starts making these connections that then leads to what Jeremiah and Ezekiel are talking about which is why it is no accident when Jesus says it's written in the prophets, he paraphrases from Isaiah 54. Okay, so um, Isaiah 54, 10 first. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my chesed, my loyal love, which is willing ultimately in my son to die for your sin, shall not depart from you. The covenant of my peace Every English translation I hit until I finally th read, there's a new one we need to look at. It's called the Literal Revised Version. It just came out in 2020. We need to look at that one. Anyway, it, this is the Uvrit um, Shlomi. Um, it's the covenant of my peace, God says. The covenant in my peace, my peace, shall not be removed. That's why it can't be removed, because it's from God, right? Um, it comes from his peace, it flows from his peace, and his peace flows from what we just read in Isaiah 53 and the Lamb of God who lays down his life for us. That's what's going on there. And then secondly, know the real peace and security with God that is inseparable from discipleship. Everybody want the gospel? Everybody want security forever? Want to have eternal security? 
well, that's going to flow into being a disciple of God himself. And we see that, of course, lived out in the life of Jesus coming to disciple his people. It's not a one-off transaction that you do with God. It's a lifetime of discipleship. The discipleship is not what saves you and secures you. It's God's peace that he's already accomplished, okay? But if you're in that peace, you know the Lord and you know his word. Just like all the prophecies of the new covenant keep saying. It's like what Jeremiah says. They're not going to have to teach each other because they will all know me and they will all know my word, right? There's not going to be, well, talk to the teachers because a lot of people in church don't know anything about God or his word. No, no, no. Every true disciple, every true Christian, everybody who's actually saved personally is intimate with the Lord and his word because his spirit works that out by the covenant of his peace. Okay, that's number two. All your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace, the shalom of your children. Now, let me just say in the context of this passage, I asked Reed to read the larger, you know, context. There's a lot of stuff going on there. We don't have time to unpack today, but basically here's what's happening. There's all this description of jewels that Reed was forced to, you know, recite. Okay. What's going on there is eternal beauty and treasure, external beauty and treasure, excuse me, external matches out with inner beauty. So this discipleship with the Lord is the inner beauty, just like the treasure outside with all these jewels being described about how beautiful the city or the bride is going to be. Let me ask you this. If you pretty up a woman, but she's ugly on the inside, does that matter really ultimately? No, so this is saying not just pretty on the outside with all those jewels, pretty on the inside. That's verse 13. And parents, it's the call for us and for how we parent our children. Is this talking about the children of Zion or the children of the church, the bride of Christ? But ultimately, it applies to how we parent our children, that they know the Lord and know his word. That's where their beauty comes from, and that flows from the security we have in him. And you don't think that Jesus is talking about this? Absolutely. John 6, 45, again, it is written in the prophets, literally, primarily in Isaiah 54, 13, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That's the way the election happens. The election happens not randomly, but God works and speaks in people's lives. That's what Jesus is saying there. And you don't think that the New Testament writers are excited about this? Anybody ever heard of the Apostle Paul? I mean, most of his letters are a rejoicing periodically off of this message of the new covenant and the shalom, the peace God gives. Listen to Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, well, what comes out of being justified by faith? I don't know. I get to go to heaven. I get a ticket for heaven. No, that's not what Paul primarily talks about. Let's look, read the rest of the verse. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have shalom, irony, I mean, in, in Greek, but same. We have Shalom with God, okay? Reconciled with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. In other words, friends, your salvation comes through living in this reconciliation, okay? Got it? Um, it, it's all part of the same story. 
God, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, was in Christ doing what? Reconciling the world to himself, right? And then we, in turn, are ambassadors of that peace, that reconciliation he has brought in Jesus. So, we're disciples. We know him, we know the word, right? Um, and then, third, come to Jesus and feed on him as the bread of life. The peace, the peace of God, the covenant in God's peace, and the combination of changing you and turning you into somebody who actually knows God and learns from God, it all comes and connects with your coming to Jesus. I want to invite you to be close as possible by the grace of God with Jesus. Remember the brokenness of the fall? This is the opposite. Jesus says, come to me. And Jesus says, you need to fill your desires and thrive in the desires that I've given you by being totally fed by me. Now this, what we're gonna share in a few minutes, is not the literal flesh and blood of Jesus, but Jesus is using Jewish idiom. And you guys, you're good Southerners, you can relate to this. Flesh and bones, blood, sweat, and tears, whatever, okay? If he had said blood, sweat, and tears, we wouldn't be worrying about running after tears, right? Literal tears. What he means is all of me for all of you. Got it? Jesus says, let's turn to that. Jesus says, you need to eat and totally consume the totality of who I am. Be fed by, thrive in the fullness of who I am my flesh and my blood. So, um, John 6, 44 through 51. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Now that's awesome, but don't stop reading. You say, well, that's all I needed to know about. I just want to make sure I Get to rise with Jesus on that last day. Well, fine, but let's see what's involved with this. Jesus says, it is written in the prophets, again, Isaiah 54, 13, and they will all be taught by God, connecting to the whole message of the new covenant, the new Testament, that real believers are gonna know God and his word. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father, except he who is from God, he has seen the father. In other words, Jesus has seen the father, you haven't. But then he says this, amen, amen, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Well, tell us, Jesus, what is believing? How does it live out and play out and get fed? Jesus says, I am. Now, that's God talk. Remember, God talk. Ego a me, double underline here. Not just a me, ego a me. He's double underlining this. This is God talk. I'm God, okay? But specifically, with the statements of the I am here, you get the bread of life. I am the bread of life. 
your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. I just love that restaurant. Yeah, is it going to last forever in you? What do you think? No. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, Jesus says, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am, again, ego me, double underline. Let me make this really clear, Jesus says. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, did you just catch that? Jesus said he gives his flesh for the life of the world. Is that just people located in Jerusalem? Is that just people of a particular ethnic line? What do you think? No. God in the new covenant is calling children from all backgrounds to know him, to be in his eternal covenant, and to feed on Jesus. Hallelujah. Aren't you excited about that? You are not excluded. You are invited in, Christian brothers and sisters, those of you who are Gentiles from all different kind of backgrounds. And it doesn't matter who your daddy was or who, what your grandfather did or what your grandmama said. It's from God to you personally. And he is inviting you in by Jesus Christ, the Lord. So as we come before the Lord today, I want to invite you to know real peace, real peace, real shalom that God makes through Jesus and offers to us. Okay, here's the news. Jesus says, this is in John 14, 27, peace, shalom, our name, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Okay, and by the way, moving on, in my father's house are many mansions, many rooms. You don't have to be troubled. You have peace eternally in me. It's not the world's kind of peace. It's not a bogus peace. And then when Jesus comes back to his apostles after the resurrection, John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Shalom. As the father has sent me, so I now send you. So he sends us out to be messengers, ambassadors of his reconciling peace to the world. And on that good news, let's come to his table. I invite you to Jesus and to live in him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.